This morning we will be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And we'll also be in Mark 1, 9 through 10 and Romans 4, 6, 4 and 7. So we'll, we'll be through those different scriptures this morning. As we have been walking through the past few weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be a missional disciple. What it means to be on mission as a disciple of Jesus Christ. The first thing we looked at was a missional disciple will go. Because in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus said, And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. So the first week we looked at a mission disciple will go. Second week, we looked at a mission of disciple will make disciples. And then last week, we looked at a mission of disciple will go to all the nations. And so this week, we're looking at a mission of disciple will baptize and teach. And when we look at this, we understand that what is baptism? What is the, what is the first response of becoming a disciple? What is the first response of regeneration of the heart. The first response is should be baptism. Baptism should follow as closely as it can after the moment of regeneration. You look at the story of Philip and the eunuch, and Philip running up and, and communicating with him when he's in his chariot, and the eunuch says, there is water, what hinders me? And he says, nothing, let's get on down there. And I, I believe that spontaneous baptism is something that is good. I like spontaneous baptism. I believe that if someone gets saved, you should have an opportunity to baptize them as soon as possible. Not because baptism saves them, but baptism is the first step of obedience beyond the fact that they've surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ. Baptism... Uh, is referred to 96 times in the Bible, and it's mentioned always after regeneration. Baptism is not, you don't have baptism prior to regeneration. It would be like having your funeral, but funeral before you're dead. It don't make any sense. That's not the process. That's not how it goes. You are first saved by faith, by the grace of God, and then you are to be baptized. Baptism does not save. I'm going to reiterate that. Baptism doesn't save. Many people say, well, some, some denominations say you got to be baptized. Well, then let's, let's just look at the evidence, okay? There was Jesus and a guy on the cross right beside him, okay? If, if that guy had to be baptized, Jesus was lying on the cross. Therefore, Jesus is not the Savior of the world. He's not the Lord. Because he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. How's he going to get into paradise if you have to be baptized to be saved? Because to be saved, to go to heaven, you got to be saved, right? Okay? You are saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. This is the gift of God in Christ Jesus. This is how it works. It's, baptism is a first effort response. And it also shows that I'm willing to commit myself to a church body. Now, I'm not going to preach my whole sermon in the introduction. But I wanted to give you that introduction. I once heard Adrian Rogers say this in regards to how people 
uh, are, are so easily being added to the church. He said, baptism isn't always easy. Some want to make it easy. You know, some churches are getting so lax today, I'm expecting them to take their members in by the telephone and baptize their photographs. Listen, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Baptism is not a private event. Baptism is public. Baptism says the private occurrence in my heart with Jesus Christ now needs to be made public before the people that say they love me and they also follow Jesus. Now, when I say I believe in spontaneous baptism, does that mean that's always going to be in front of a bunch of folks? No. But I do believe that once you get to a point to where you find that church body that you say, I want to be a part of, you should be baptized into that church. It's not that you're not saved. Understand me, because baptism doesn't save you. But what baptism says is when you step into the baptistry of New Prospect Baptist Church, and you walk down through here and myself or someone else baptizes you, you're saying by going through the waters before this church, not before the walls or the microphones or the keyboard to stand, but before the people that are in this church, you say, you are my people. This is my church, and I stand before you being buried in the likeness and then raised to walk in the newness of life. I'm calling on you individuals to say, hold me accountable to my faith. Today, I begin my public ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did. Jesus said, I must be baptized uh, to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus didn't have to be baptized, did he? No, he didn't. But he was baptized to show us the way. He was baptized to show us how. Once you profess an inward faith, you need to make it a public faith so that people will know who you associate your life with. There's your introduction. So a missional disciple will baptize. What is baptism? I explained a little bit about that just a moment ago. Baptism is a public event for the new believer to commend their walk with Christ to those they desire to hold them to their profession of faith. Baptism in the church reveals to the church that they are family. Baptism before your church family shows you want their wisdom and their instruction in your life. Baptism signifies the beginning of your public ministry. And what does baptism look like? Just like I, I kind of showed you just a moment ago. Um, when, when, when you baptize somebody, I baptize people backwards. You may say that sounds weird. Most of the other ministers baptize going this direction because they want their strong hand on their back. I baptize opposite because I want to be able to pull you back up out of the water. I want to pull you back up. In my left arm, my, my, I don't know, I just, I just don't do it that way. So when we baptize, you'll always see, the, see people going this way when most people will show them going that way. Anyway, well, that's just what I do. And I'll tell them, I'll say, it's what I want you to do. Because some people, I mean, most of you in this room have observed the baptism. Many of you, most of you have been baptized. But when I baptize someone, I'll tell them, I'll say, okay, you want to reach that hand across there and grab this hand. And there's no magical way of baptizing somebody. Some people like to have a cloth in their hand to cover their mouth and their nose because they, like, they don't go underwater very often. You know, they're not like me. Learn how to play Marco Polo, you, you get under the water 
And before they even come to the water, I'll call them, I'll say their name, and they made a public profession of Christ. Do you do that here before this congregation? And I'll, they'll say, I have, or I do, or, uh, and I'll say, all right, by your profession of faith, I baptize you, fill in the blank. <laughs> I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, buried with him in the likeness of his death, and I push them under, because I push them, okay? And I, I'll tell you a reason why in just a minute. Push them under, and then I'll pull them up, and I say, raise the walk in the newness of life. And then we clap, we celebrate, we rejoice. Not because they were just saved, but because now they are beginning their ministry. They're beginning their ministry. Why do I do that? Well, unfortunately, the first person I baptized, I didn't get this much of their face under the water. Okay? And I have held that. I have been disappointed in myself ever since. Because I did it the opposite direction. And I, I couldn't... I didn't, the, the, the suction of the water, I didn't pull them, you know, I didn't get them off. So I said, all right, now. Now, when little kids get baptized, I tell them, you better be careful. Your back may touch the bottom of the baptistry because you're going under. And it was the splash zone. When we start having a choir here in a little bit, you sit up here, you're likely to get a little wet. You might want to wear a rain jacket if we're doing baptism. I'm serious. I want people to remember the day they've been baptized. It's important. It's the day that you have signified to a church body I am Christ's, which has already been determined in your heart, but I am Christ's, and we are family. And along with my family, I want to serve. And I want you to hold me accountable to what I say I have, what has changed in my life. I want you to hold me accountable to that. That's baptism. And there's a, the biblical method of baptism is immersion. In Mark chapter 1, you want to flip over there, Mark chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. John baptizes Jesus in this text. It says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Now, Jesus, when he came from Nazareth to go to be baptized by John in the Jordan, this was not like us five minutes down the road. This was a 60-mile trek one way. It was not convenient. Could you imagine walking 60 miles one way? It's impressive. It's also terribly inconvenient. Some people say, well, baptism's inconvenient. I don't, I don't know if I, if I want to do that. Well, you need to get over that. Quit worrying about the convenience of it all and just get it done. Listen, people need to know where you stand. You need, people need to know where you stand. You need to be willing to deal with the inconvenience of being in the water. The scripture there says that he come up, out, come up from the water. Some say come up out of the water. Coming up out of the water. Baptism is is immersion. It is completely underneath the water. It's symbolic of Christ going into the grave and Jesus rising from the grave. That's baptism. It's symbolic of that. That's the biblical method of baptism. And then if you look over at John 3:23, we have that same uh, recording. John chapter 3 verse 23 says after these things Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. Now, John also was baptizing in Anon 
near Salim because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Why do you need much water? Because people got to be able to go under. There was plenty of shallower waters closer by, but John the Baptist knew for baptism, for immersion, they needed to be able to go under the water. Symbolic. I saw one guy as I was doing some research, he said it's like this. You stand in the water like a cross and you go under the water dead and you come back out representative of your alive. Okay, you're not really, you know, like I said, salvation occurs in the heart, not in the water. Salvation occurs in the heart, not in the water. Like I said before, and I didn't finish that thought, but the thief on the cross, if that were the case, that man didn't go to heaven and Jesus was a liar. But Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now in every other situation you find, people need to be baptized. You look through all those different texts, you look in Acts, and all the different times when people were saved. Boy, could you imagine baptizing all the folks they had to baptize in Acts? That's a lot of folks. They had to get somewhere where there's lots of water. Baptism is, by immersion, is the biblical method of baptism. So what's the meaning of baptism? If you look over in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Romans 6, verses 4 through 7, it says, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. And that's the reason why we use that language when we baptize. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been set free from sin. Baptism is a burial of the old life. It is representative of of, the, of our old man is gone. That's baptism. And a missional disciple will baptize. Going under the water, like I said, represents Christ's days in the grave. Now listen, we don't hold people underwater for three days now, do we? No, <laughs> we don't do that. Now sometimes we might hold them under there and say, say tithe three times. Ask them to quote Romans 5, 8 while they're under there. No, we're not going to do those type of things. But we make sure they, they, they're under and then they're up and out. Because we want people to go up and out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you've not been baptized or if you've been baptized and you've not been saved. Listen, if you've not been baptized, like I said earlier, it's getting your funeral before your death. And if you have been saved, you need to get them in order. Baptism is an absolute picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, why baptism? Now, I got these points from one of the best preachers there is. That's from Adrian Rogers. Why, why be baptized? Well, there's a master to confess. When you come up out of that water, baptism shows Christ is our Savior. Baptism also, we baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a master to confess. When you come up, you say, I'm no longer my own. This is publicly known to you that I'm no longer my own. I'm not my own master. Christ is my master. And that gives a church not for us to 
be hateful or to be degrading or, or to be condescending. It's for us to be loving and gracious and tender loving and, and leading people and saying, you have made this profession. You've made this profession by going through these waters. Therefore, allow us to love you in your faith and encourage you. Now, a lot of churches take that as an opportunity to say, well, we get to call you out on every sin. Well, no, you don't. Take the plank out of your own eye. Be cautious now. But we are to love them and guide them. And from our own experiences, talk about the love that God has shown us and walk them through that. There is a master to confess. confess. There is a message to convey. To convey. Baptism preaches that your life can be changed by Jesus Christ. Many people have the opportunity and, and, and the Spirit moves on them when they have baptism. When you have baptism in the church. Because it reveals. It reveals the work of Christ. Of what He does in the a, in, in a, in a heart of an individual who's been saved. That's what baptism symbolizes. And then there's a mandate to complete. Which we're walking through right now. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. When you come up out of that water, you should never stop going. When you come up out of that water, that's, that's your marching orders. That's your mandate to complete. And you, when you come up out of those waters, we rejoice. And the joy that you have because you come through the water should never be removed from you. There's people today that say they're deconstructing their faith. I see that sometimes online. And, and they're saying there, many people have supposedly left the faith. Either you're saved or you're not. Either you're saved or you're not. Because the Bible tells that once you're in the Father's hand, nothing can pluck you from the Father's hand. Either you're in it or you're not. It's that simple. You don't say, I walked away from the faith. I deconstructed my faith. Well, you can say that all you want to, but you probably weren't saved in the first place. I've heard it said, our president, our dean, excuse me, in New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary uh, while I was there, he said, uh, and I think this is a quote from another pastor, maybe even Adrian Rogers, I don't know, but it sounds good enough to be. But he said, if that devil, if the devil can, can cause you to lose your salvation, he'd have to swim through the blood of Jesus. He would have to pry back the fingers of God, and he'd have to break the seal of the Holy Spirit, and then he'd be one saved devil. There's no way you can be plucked from the Father's hand. Either you're in it or you're not. So a missional disciple needs to baptize. I know I explained a lot about baptism, and I believe in spontaneous baptism, but I also believe that once you come to faith and you find a church, you need to be baptized at that church that you become a member of. Because then you, the, the people in that church becomes your church family. And then you say, you know what, because you're my church family, I want input into that church. Not being a member of that church, you, you don't get to have input. You don't get to have say. Before I married my wife, I didn't get to say anything about the Kirk family, you know, as to what happens in the Kirk family. Well, I married my wife, and now my input is valued. Why is that? Because I'm married to someone in the family. Okay, I'm a part of the family. So now they value my input. Because they know I'm, I shouldn't be running off nowhere. You know what I mean? I'm sticking around. I'm committed because I'm a member. In the church, you've gone through the waters. Like I said, baptism doesn't save you. 
It's symbolic of what Christ has already done inside of you. But yet it also says, I'm a part of this church body. I'm a part of this church body. And some people don't want to do that, and that's fine. That's your own prerogative. But I feel like it's what you should do. So we need to baptize people, the missional disciple. And I believe anybody who's got a thriving, active faith can baptize. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. Now, I know a lot of times we get that and we say, oh, only the, the clergy, only the clergy can baptize. Really? Where does it say that? Show me where that says that in the Bible. I believe it's recommended. I believe it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's a good thing to do. But if you're a parent and you're walking in faith and you lead your child to Christ, hey, baptize your kid. I'm talking about in the church. I mean, you, you might baptize them in the, in, in the bathtub all the time. Oh, you're baptized, you know what I mean? You might have a little fun with that, you know? We baptized each other in a swimming pool all the time. Go, run, swim underwater, grab them behind them, grab them, oh, we baptized, you know? But they're not really baptized, you know? These men were set apart. Now, don't get me wrong. I do feel like that if you're going to come into the church, you need to be baptized by someone who is an active, growing disciple of Jesus Christ. And if that's your parents, fantastic. I mean, what, what greater joy is there than to baptize your own child? If you're not a member of the church, number one, you can't baptize in this church. You need to be, you need to have all those things in order. And I, I believe that 100%, when Jesus is telling these disciples about baptism, that he intended for them to baptize. Whenever somebody got saved, baptize them. There's no reason for them to go on in life and wait and wait and wait. Who knows if they'll ever come upon someone who's a professional clergy. Are you professional? Are you professional? Are you professional? No, I'm just saved by grace. I'm living on fire. I'm telling people about Jesus. Well, can you baptize me? Well, no, I'm, I'm not a clergy. I'm not professional. What's so professional about it? How about this? Be baptized. Be baptized. I believe it's vitally important that someone be baptized, be baptized shortly after they come to faith. You know, on youth mission trips, a lot of times youth pastors will baptize those that come to faith in the waters of the ocean if they're down by the ocean. But also they explain to them, we also want you to be baptized before the whole congregation when we get back. Because we want you to understand that although you are baptized here, the baptism that we have back there is just symbolic to the church of what Christ has already done in your heart. But we want the church to love you as you walk in your faith in Jesus Christ. A missional disciple will teach all the Lord commanded. Those who are to teach are those who have been regenerated and baptized. Those who have been saved by faith, by the grace of God, and have been baptized should be teachers. They should be teaching. Now, what does that mean? Okay? This does not mean that everybody who's baptized and everyone who is a, a, a a disciple has to be a preacher. I heard one guy who was at, I think it was J.D. Greer I was listening to, he said, everybody doesn't have to be a preacher, but everybody needs to be a reacher. Okay? Everybody doesn't have to be a preacher, but everybody should be a reacher. And I thought, that's good. I like that. But when we think about teachers, everybody should be teaching. It doesn't mean you, need to be, you don't have to be a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to be a deacon, which a deacon, it says, should be apt to teach, should be able to teach. All right, all these different things, it doesn't mean that. What it means is this, we need to be teaching them all that the Lord has commanded. Now, there's a lot that the Lord commanded in the Gospels, aren't there? There's a lot. But four, four explicit commands from Christ for the disciple that he taught 
that were commands that I feel like that each one of us should be teaching others. And it could be verbally teaching it or living it, teaching it. It should be taught and caught both ways. It should be taught and caught. Look here. In John 13, 34 through 35, the first, one of the first commands is love one another. Love one another. John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We should be teaching that to others. Love one another. Listen, kindness and grace is something that everybody would love given to them. And to love one another is to do that. To love one another. And people will know that we are Christ's disciples. A second command is to pray for your enemies. In Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 verses 44 and 45. It says this, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. Pray for your enemies. God commands us to do those things. You shall love your neighbor. You've heard it said there in verse 43, if you go back up a couple of verses. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Pray for your enemies. Next, in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, he says, take up your cross and follow him. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We have to take up our cross and follow him. So we love one another. We pray for our enemies. We take up our cross and follow him. These are things Christ commands us to do. And every disciple needs to be teaching this to all that they come in contact with. It's not just the preacher or the, the deacon or the Sunday school teacher or anybody else. This is a call to each and every one of us to be living it and saying it. Love one another. Pray for your enemies. Take up your cross. Uh, I said four. There's actually five. <laughs> um, but but this this one right here is, is kind of overarching of everything we preached. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. 
He commands that. Make disciples really is the, is the imperative of that. And then in John 21, 22, which was actually my fourth, and I forgot about that, I'd added that fifth, so, um, is you follow me. You follow me. We find that in John 21, verse 22. John 21, verse 22. Now, I love this scripture, John 21, 22. Because Peter, this is near the end of John's book, and John is the beloved disciple. And the Lord has restored Peter in the verses prior to these last few verses in John 21. And then we have Peter. It says, Peter turning around saw the disciple whom, whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, seeing John, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. When, when we look at this, so many times as a disciple of Christ, we're too busy looking over our shoulder at another disciple and saying, What about them? What about them? Why, 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 what, what's going to happen with them? You know, and the Lord says, Peter, quit worrying about everybody else. I'm telling you to follow me. So many times in our churches, we get so inundated and overwhelmed with concern for. Now, listen, I'm not saying in care and compassion. Because that's not what Peter was asking for about John here. He wasn't concerned about compare, uh, compassion and care for John. He's wondering, is he going to get something better than me? And the Lord says, if I tell him to stay on this earth till I return, what is that to you? That's, that's none of your business, basically, is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know what is your business? That you follow me. And every single one of us on an individual basis are you and I as individuals, are we following Christ? And as missional disciples, if we are following Christ, we are going. We are making disciples. We're not worried about what everybody else is doing. We ain't got time to complain about what everybody else is doing. We ain't got time to look to the left or to the right. We are to follow Christ. We are to go to all nations, whether Anybody else in this sanctuary goes on a mission trip? If God calls me to go on a mission trip, I'm to go. It's not, it's not your burden what Christ has called me to. But I'll tell you this, if, I'm, if I open myself up to you, as I've talked about with baptism, and I say, I want you to love me and help me and guide me and strengthen me, then it is your responsibility to encourage me. And it is my responsibility to encourage you. But, God, but Jesus says, what, what's that to you? What I do with John. What I'm telling you, Peter, is to come follow me. Now we know as you read through Acts and as you read through other, uh, other uh, letters, uh, the epistles that Peter wrote, he did follow him. He followed him with a whole heart. And God did great mighty things through Peter. Even when Peter did some things that maybe weren't quite right. And he and Paul had some, had some disagreements about it. So they sat down and talked about it. 
But he wasn't worried about Paul. He did what God called him to do, and they sat down and they worked it out. Listen, as missional disciples, we need to be doing what the Lord's called us to do in this great commission. Going, making disciples, making disciples of all the nations as we go, and baptizing and teaching as God opens the windows and the doors to do so. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that God would send his son to this earth to be born of a virgin, to live a life without sin, to die on the cross in our place for our sins, to die and be buried, to rise again the third day, and you know what else? He's coming again. That's the good news. That's the gospel.